Hi, this is Lydia Cornell from Too Close for Comfort and Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I am on the Atomic Podcast, one of the best shows I've ever done with Efren Guzman. Incredible host. This is an incredible show. I had a great time. Check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, where I blow up the news on a verbal scale. I am your host, Efren Guzman. My guest today, we finally connected. Um, she's a writer, producer, actor, podcaster. She's a jack of all trades, and she is an amazing person, Lydia Cornell. Lydia, how are you? And we're finally connected. How are you? What a beautiful intro. I'm great. How are you, Ifra? I'm doing pretty good. The Midwest, you know, um, right now, as I talk to you on this day, tomorrow, we're actually supposed to get snow again, so... <gasps> oh, I love snow. But you don't like it in May, I bet. Um, like, to me, like, I'm, I'm I, like, I don't know, like, for me, I'm a weird person because I get allergies and I'm, I'm just, like afraid of bugs <laughs> per se <laughs> so so, oh <laughs> so like when the snow comes it kills them all so you know i i don't mind the snow so it, it's, it's 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 pretty good but so you know a lot of people hate it we just i know we have more snow than anything this past year so and we had lots of rain we love the rain i mean i've been driving around looking at the hills it's beautiful green out here in california yeah. So you don't really get yeah, California doesn't get snow at all, right? At all. Well, we get it in Mammoth. We go up, you know, skiing in Mammoth or Big Bear. And actually, when I drive out to my parents, there's snow on the mountains in the distance, way on the tippy top, you know. Yeah. The very top. Oh, uh, and 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 are you used to it? Well, of course you're used to it out there. You've been there for years, but like, like it's like, do you wish you had seasons? Like, do you wish you had like yeah. winter, winter, spring, summer, fall type thing? Oh yes, I do love the seasons. I grew up in New York, yeah. So, well, I came from El Paso, Texas, where it was only desert and dry. I never saw a tree. Wow. And then to New York was lush green when I was eleven, and I couldn't believe the snow and the change of seasons, and. um I do miss that. I do miss New York and the change of seasons. Then I went to Colorado for college, and I skied in college. Wow. I went there to ski. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. So let me take this back. So growing up in El Paso, Texas, you have like that dry weather, the dry heat. Then yeah. what part of New York? Because I, I used to live in New York, Manhattan itself. What part of New York were you was at? Okay. I went to, this is going to sound really weird. We, my father was a violinist from Russia. He grew up in Shanghai, China. Wow. He fled during the revolution as a baby. He couldn't leave China. He was a, he was a violinist, and his family they were escaping the revolution. So mm-hmm. he couldn't leave. He tried. He got a scholarship to Juilliard, or what was the music school? One of the greatest music schools. And yeah. the communists locked the city down, and for ten more years he couldn't leave. He couldn't come to America. When he finally got here, he taught at Berkeley. He, he somehow became a cowboy in El Paso, Texas. He wore a big <laughs> cowboy hat, yeah. a Russian cowboy. And um, and then he moved us to New York wow. in, when I was 11. So it was a very strange culture shock to go from the desert to the greenery. You know, I've been all over the country. I lived in three different places. Then we lived in Holland for a while in Europe. Oh, wow. Um, but we grew up in New York. In New York, the, the, the journey there was very odd. 
he got this big job in New York in the shipping industry, mm-hmm. and he had to declare he was ripped off by his partner in El Paso, Texas, in a roofing company. His partner swindled him out of all these houses they were roofing. He left my father holding the bag, so he had to go find another job, and we were, you know, leaving our hometown in El Paso was really traumatic. And finally, coming to New York, the only place they could find a house to rent with a good school district was Scarsdale, New York, which is the richest community in New York, but we were the the outcast of scars. <laughs> we didn't, you know, I wanted to be Jewish in the worst way. Everyone there was Jewish. I was this kind of, you know, Christian girl with a really weird family, you know, violinist dad. We didn't fit in, but we found this house to rent and it became, so I grew up in Scarsdale. Wow. And, like, you know, New York, I'm, I'm not familiar with Scarsdale. Is it like, um, is it a lot of diversity in Scarsdale? Is it like in, in the city itself or not really? It's about 40 minutes outside of New York City. You take the train. It's one of those bedroom communities okay. that's very wealthy. Frank Gifford went to school. You know, his, his kids went to school there with me. Ah, okay. Frank, original kids, you know. And yeah. They were, we were all in high school together. Um, you know, a lot of famous people live in Scarsdale. Liza Minnelli. Yeah. It's sort of a really rich community well, off of... Um, yeah, my dad took the train to Grand Central Station, but we were the only family that, that didn't fit in. It was very strange. I wanted to be, I wasn't Jewish, and the whole entire community is Jewish. It's like... Oh, okay. Except for Frank Gifford. Oh, so that, it was a more predominantly Jewish community. Okay, okay, I gotcha. Oh, so wow. I felt like an outcast, you know, I wanted to be Jewish, and I wanted to be a Jewish male comic, but my parents weren't supportive. <laughs> <laughs> why Why that? You was exposed to a lot of that? Like, That's a stand-up comedy. I do stand-up comedy, so I write these crazy lines. But I remember feeling always like the outcast wherever I was, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's just That's just the way we all feel, I guess. Yeah. You see, so you have, you know, your, your father doing all that. Doing all that, you had a lot of, like, um, I would say, like... You know, you was always creative then, like, you know, going from yeah. different places, Holland and, you know, Texas and New York. Like, you already you already was exposed to a lot of different cultures already at such a young age. I'll tell you the biggest, the only place I wanted to live was Disneyland. Because when I was five <laughs> years old, I, to... <laughs> I lived in El Paso, Texas, and I was overly creative. In fact, a lot of actors were very creative children. Or writers. I've always been a writer as well. Mm-hmm. So I had a little theater production company in the backyard, and I always had to play the boy because none of the girls wanted to play the prince. <laughs> and I used to write plays and build scenery and poster board scenery. Like I'd draw a fireplace and I would use all these posters and, you know, scotch tape them together to make a little scene, like mm-hmm. a backdrop. And I lived in a fantasy land, just complete imagination all the time. And I was a skateboard champion and I had a secret village called Garageville. So anyway, we played like that. <laughs> yeah. And then Disneyland was the one place that I just could not get over how great it was. When I was five years old, I went there. I got lost in Sleeping Beauty's castle. Wow. Apparently, they, they couldn't find me for a couple <laughs> hours. I don't know what happened. But, so I had this thing, i got to go to California and become an actress. You know, it was that little childhood dream. Mm-hmm. So it all starts somewhere, you never know. 
Yeah. But it, it's good, like, always to have that imagination, especially at a young age, because you never know what people are going to do with that. Because, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different imaginations at a young age. They could enhance that, or they probably they, or they probably won't enhance that, depending on what right. type of field you're involved in. But, um, yeah. was, like, was your other friends like that as well? Or you was did you always feel like the odd duckling because you always wanted to, like, you know, you had imagination? Yeah. Yeah, I was the odd duckling. Yeah. I felt weird. Like, why am I... Why did I want to do this? And I also... My father was in the uh, orchestra in El Paso, Texas. He played first violin. Mm. And there was... We had chamber music at our house every Tuesday night. There would be four or five, you know, violinists. A cellist, a violinist, and uh, an oboe player would come over to our house and they would do quartets with my mother as well. So he was in an opera called Pinocchio and I was like... Oh! I was enthralled with the stage and the scenery mm. and they built a huge fish on the stage with gauze. You could see the inside of the fish and the actors went in and out of the staircases and coming in. And I just thought the stage was a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And I would run around the stage and go in and out of the door, hidden doorways. And I remember falling in love with the theater back then when I was little. Mm-hmm. So it, was it, it just felt like magical, right? Like it just felt yeah, magical. magical. I don't know what that is. Something about just being on a stage or being backstage, the seat, the play, like a playland. Mm-hmm. You create your own reality, you know. Yeah. Well, so then um, at that time, like just having that imagination, being a part of that, you know, your dad's um, having playing music and people coming over, you was pretty much exposed to that. So like that lifestyle was already instilled in you. So that's something you really wanted to pursue, like once you got older, right? Yeah, but I'm telling you, a lot of actors, and this is going to sound crazy, mm-hmm. have very disturbed childhoods. And I was, you know, I have to say, my mother was extremely abusive. I love her. We mm-hmm. have now had an amazing forgiveness through through recovery. Mm-hmm. But parents that are very critical and harsh, she was always making me look perfect. My every hair had to be in place. If I wasn't perfect looking, I wasn't. She actually said to me once, "Being pretty is all that matters. If you're not pretty." You really can't do anything in life. And that's not the right message for a little girl. Because I was like a little tomboy. I wanted to be... My hair was never, never perfect. I was creating, painting, drawing, acting. And um, she grew up in the 50s. She grew up in that era Mm -hmm. where women had to look perfect at all times and only speak when spoken to Mm -hmm. and be very demure. And I had to curtsy. I actually curtsied. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) When I moved to New York... I curtsied in, in the junior high school to every teacher. People thought I was mentally ill. They go, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, what's wrong with this girl? She's like, you know, right? It was like, like really <laughs> embarrassing to find out that people don't do that in the rest of the world. Wow. Only in Texas and parts of, you know, parts of the South. Yeah. <laughs> really nerdy oh don't 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 worry because like even to this day sometimes like i'll i'll when i used to live with me and um my 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 girlfriend at the time well my wife now we used to live with roommates and i used to always tell the other roommates m'lady m'lady they just thought i was a weirdo you know (laughs) what's wrong with your boy he's calling me m'lady for oh he's he's just weird yeah And that was before Game of Thrones, where they say you know your grace and everything like that. So this was way before that. So you know what's weird about El Paso and and the Southwest? I said I spoke in a broad voice. I didn't speak in a real Southern accent, but I said we said slacks instead of pants. We said purse, (laughs) not pocketbook. 
I worked at Caribou Ranch, which was a music recording studio where I met Billy Joel before his first album. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beach Boys, Chicago, Elton, let me see who else. Joni Mitchell. I mean, a lot of the cool rock stars were recording their albums up there. Wow. So I worked up there and I tried to break into the music business. I figured I'll be a music manager. I'll discover a female rock band. And then I managed a rock band, Michael Murphy, Wildfire. It's incredible. It was a big hit artist at the time. Mm-hmm. And the minute, I don't know what happened. I decided I have to get to California. I just have to get to California. And I drove in a clunky car that kept falling apart. And I had a job waiting for me in California with Epic Records. Oh. And then, yeah, I worked at Epic Records. What, what, um, what was the job in Epic Records? It was the A&R. I worked in, um, I worked for Pat Siciliano and Steve Sletza. Yeah. That name, Steve Sletza. <laughs> they, were, they were in the A&R, which is Artist Relations. Okay. And, um, it was a brief time, but at the time, we were, my parents were living in Holland, in mm-hmm. The Hague. My dad was transferred overseas. Mm-hmm. So I get this phone call from Inter, Interpol. His company's called Interpol. Okay. They call me up and they go, Lydia, your dad had a heart attack. I'm working in my first job in, in L.A. at Epic Records. Wow. And I had to go fly back. For some reason, the company thought they said Interpol, which is International Police. Yeah. So they thought I was, I was in trouble with the International Police. <laughs> so um, I went back to Europe, and I stayed there until through my father's... They kept him alive on a balloon pump, and he finally died in May 1977. That was a long time ago. Wow. And then what I did, this is really weird. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember this. I'm sorry it's so disconnected. No, no, it's, it's fine. Yeah. Um... I sat there and watched on Dutch TV. There were some American TV shows. After my father was you know, in the hospital, he was in the hospital for several weeks and we were going home every day. I would watch TV shows and I would write letters. I wrote, wrote the names down of all the producers of the American TV shows. And I wrote them all handwritten letters going, may I please get a job with you as an actor, actress? Wow. It was really weird. I hand wrote letters to all these producers and mailed them from Europe. And I don't know if that ever made a difference, but the minute I came to California, it was like in three auditions, I had a hit series. But wow. the first audition was so crazy. I think if you put the energy out and your intention is so focused, it sort of results in something good, whether those letters landed on the right desk or if anyone ever knew. Um, the minute I got to California, when I finally came back here after my father had died, um, oh, I know what happened. So I walked on this. I was trying to break into different movie studio lots. Mm-hmm. I went to Paramount, and they let me in. To the, <laughs> the guy thought I was, I guess, you know, oh, a young girl. <laughs> I get in, and I go into the Happy Days set with my resume. Yeah. And I must have walked in in the middle of a shot. I walk right in the middle of a shot that they're filming. And I go right up to Jerry Paris, who was directing, and Gary Marshall. Mm-hmm. And I go, hi, do you have any jobs available? Oh, my God. <laughs> and he said, darling, yes, we're in the middle of a shot here. We're in the middle of it. What are you doing here? <laughs> and there's Henry Winkler and Ron Howard. And, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And I go, they go, sit over here. We'll talk to you afterwards. And I was like, <laughs> I don't even know how I got on the soundstage. There was a red light. 
they let me in. It was just so crazy. Wow. So Donnie Most and I started, you know, becoming friends, and I met Ron Howard and Henry Winkler, and then I went to the Samuel Goldwyn Studios to try to get a job over there, and I got out to the lot. They let me in all the time, mm-hmm. walking around, and I meet a man in the hallway, and he goes, may I help you? And I said, I'm looking for a job. He goes, well, Jack Webb is hiring. Jack Webb, do you know who he is? Um, he produced Dragnet. Yes, yes. So they they bring me in the office, and they go, the producer upstairs needs a secretary. So oh. he hires me right away, this this producer named Georgie Sherman. He's a short little guy, uh-huh. very famous, directed some John Wayne movies. And he goes, okay, you'll be my secretary. So we started working wow. together on a movie with Leslie Nielsen, Lana Turner, Mark Harmon. Okay. And it's a movie of the week called uh, Little Mo, about the famous tennis player. Okay. And I'm actually working in this office. Mark Harmon comes in. We do a wardrobe bidding for him. I send him around the lot doing wardrobe biddings and stuff. Mm-hmm. He, this is really a weird story. Mark Harmon was doing a series called, it was about a cop and his dog. I think it was called Sam. Okay. And um, we became friends. And then Linwood Boomer comes in. I don't know if you know him. He created a show called Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, okay. So he's the Xerox copy boy sitting there with me, and we're talking about how we want to be actors. And I go, I just want to be an actress. I don't know why I'm sitting in this office, but I really want to be an actor, right? Yeah. yeah. So Linwood goes, I do too. Hmm. Finally, I go out for an audition. He goes out for an audition. He gets Little House on the Prairie. He plays the blind preacher. I get too close for comfort, and this is how it happened. Oh. I get called into this audition out of the blue. Um, these managers were managing me at the time and they had a, a young actor named Michael J. Fox. He was playing a 12-year-old, but he was really 21 years old. Mm-hmm. He would look so young at the time, he was playing a 12-year-old on Palmerstown, USA, a TV series. Mm-hmm. So they call me in for a series called Keep It in the Family. Mm-hmm. And it's my third audition I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And I took a bus to get there, and I have on a cheerleader sweater, and I run into there, and, and the secretary goes, sorry, it's too late. Oh. You have to, they're finished. And they've seen 400 girls already for this part. This is really a true story. And I go, I got really sad, and I, I knew I was late, but I couldn't get there sooner. Yeah. And out the office comes Arnie Sultan, the producer of Too Close for Comfort, and he says, oh, let her come in. She's the last girl. She looks the part. Let her come in. Oh. So I go in, and there's four men and the casting director. And the four men in the room were Tom Warner, who later became, you'll know about him later. He owns the Boston Red Sox, and he was um, a big ABC executive at the time. Mm-hmm. Tom Warner, Arnie Sultan, Bob Stolfi, and another person in the room, a casting person. And they give me the script to read. And I'm reading with the casting person, with Arnie Sultan, the producer, too. Mm-hmm. And there's a line in the script that says, Sarah gives dad a raspberry. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I read it like this. I go, in case you haven't noticed, we are two very sophisticated young women. So there, and I pick up an imaginary raspberry with my hand, and I thrust it at Arnie, at the producer. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, what the, F, what the F are you giving me? He goes, what, what is this you're handing me? And I go, I go, I'm giving you a raspberry. I'm handing you a raspberry. And he goes, oh, my God. You don't know what a raspberry is? And the whole room did a Bronx cheer. A raspberry is when you blow your mouth yeah, together. Like a fart noise. <laughs> yeah, like that. And they, 
they they look at me like, where did you come from? Hmm. And he said, what planet are you from? And I think I said, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) They go, you, this can't be, this can't be happening. Can you be at the network tomorrow morning? (laughs) <laughs> they were like hinting around like we we may have found the girl you know yeah. what I mean so wow and the next they go um, be at the ABC executive offices to meet the president of ABC we're going to read with Ted Knight tomorrow morning oh my god and I put on a virginal flower dress and I got there on time <laughs> yeah there were four other girls that were they had chosen sorry I'm not letting you interrupt go ahead no no no, no. go ahead no I was just laughing go ahead he had the floral dress okay. yeah <laughs> the other girls are dressed in skin tight cutoffs with and their nipples hanging out they're looking over sexualized <laughs> yeah and the character was really a virginal sex symbol she wasn't a person who's overtly sexual okay and they wanted so that's just the way i i wore a really sweet looking outfit you know a dress that was flowered and it wasn't too sexy and um and I went in and read, and there was magic in the room. I don't know what happened. First of all, it was the exec offices, which I've never been up to the president's office. Mm-hmm. Very few people get up there. And there's Tony Thomopoulos at the time, the president of ABC, all the big shots, all the network brass. Ted Knight's there, my producers. And I read with Ted, and they were laughing. And it mm-hmm. felt like an out-of-body experience. Because I was too green to know better than to have any fear at that point, you know? Yeah. And then this is the... the the most amazing coincidence, and I don't call it it's a coincidence anymore, I call it a God shot. Um, okay. After I finished reading, they clapped, they all stood up, and they said, we never ever do this, but we're going to tell you right now, you have the role. You are the, the actor. We're not going to even tell your agent first. We're going to tell you. Wow. It was really weird. They, they actually had me go outside for a few minutes and come back in. They told me that. And then Deborah was already cast as my sister, Deborah yeah. von Valkenberg, played yeah. Jackie. Mm-hmm. I played, I was the role of Sarah, she was Jackie. So she comes up to me and she said, what's your name? I said, Lydia Kornilov, Kornilov, it's a Russian name, it's really hard to pronounce. Yeah. She, I work for a Gregory Kornilov, Kornilov in New York, but he lives in Holland. Oh. And uh, I worked for him for a couple of years, you know, when I was doing off-Broadway productions, I would work for him all the time in a company called Interpool. And I went, oh my oh. God, that's my dad. Yeah. Wow. And all 10 million people in New York City, she worked for my father and she plays my sister. Wow. And it was such a cool breadcrumb on the path of life that I felt, whoa, this is too uncanny, you know? Yeah. And my, I told her my dad had just died and she was crushed because she knew him really well. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were, she was his secretary. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. Like, all the connections just from that. Wow. I had so many, hundreds of those ever since, you know, I got sober especially. Yeah. But they are so clear. I've had so many, and they were like guideposts along the way, you know. And Deborah and I are best friends today, mm-hmm. and I directed her in a movie that I wrote. And so, it's really cool, those kind of coincidences. Wow. That- uh, Einstein said, Einstein said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Hmm. So yeah. that, that's a good quote. That's a good quote. Well, it, it, it's, it's just like, I'm just boggled because it's like everything's not that, you know how they say everything happens by coincidences or like some something is just meant to be. It was like you was there, you you know, you said your piece, like, hey, look, give me a chance and boom, you just have it. Like, you you think stuff like that could happen today? Like, I don't even think so. Like getting through security, especially how you went on the set of Happy Days, like everything is just so, I don't know, everything seems so restricted now. 
Yeah, but actually those two jobs I got didn't lead to this audition. The audition happened, I think I was discovered, later on ABC Network said, Joyce Selznick discovered her, but my managers discovered me at a party, and I had a boyfriend that took a picture of me on a rooftop, and we submitted it to the Academy Players Directory, and they, I met somebody at a party who introduced me to them. It was like that. Mm-hmm. It was through networking, which was just being somewhere at the right time, you know? Yeah, yeah. It can happen today, too. But in those days, it was easier. We had three networks. Might have been harder in those days, but there wasn't social media. Yeah. And you couldn't really get out there and be seen very easily. You had to have your... There were only three or four places an actor could put their headshots up. Yeah. I don't know. I think things are meant to be, they will be meant to be, if you're on the right track and your motivations are... If you're creative... Yeah. I think it's unlimited. There's unlimited potential to get things done. Yeah. And Too Close for Comfort ran for five years, right? It was five seasons? Yeah, but yeah. it ran for six years, and oh. then it's been in syndication for 30 years. Oh, okay. um, Because Ted died in the sixth year. Yeah. And we didn't, the girls didn't do the show in the sixth year because they did something weird with the show. Arnie, our producer, died, and then they hijacked the show and made it into a different kind of show. And that was a big mistake. Yeah. And then Ted died. So it was, seemed like it was kind of short, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm trying to remember. Like I I don't even remember. So did, did they like they didn't change the name of the show, but they tried to revamp it into something else. Yeah. Almost. Okay. Yeah, Lainey Kazan came on. I love Lainey Kazan. I did a cartoon with her playing my mother. <laughs> wow. About the Vi- Vikings or something. Yeah. Um, Hagar the Horrible. Yeah, I played yeah. the princess. And then Donnie Most from Happy Days played my boyfriend, and he's mm-hmm. the first person I met. When I came to the set of Happy Days, you know, 30 years before. Yeah. Oh my God, um, look at that, wow. Yeah, coinky-dink. Yeah. But I did about 250 other shows. I did so many guest starring roles. And yeah. when you talk about syndication, I did like six love boats. Yeah, I know, right? A-Team, a- Knight Rider, Dukes of Hazard. You was in a lot of different shows at the, at the 80s at that time. Like one of the most popular shows in the 80s at that time. Like you was pretty much, you know, like guest starring in a lot of different shows, right? Yeah, yeah, everything. Hunter, Simon and Simon, TJ Hooker. Yeah. I did Charlie's Angels, Fantasy Island, um, Love Boat Hotel. I did so many different guest starring roles. I was always playing a race car driver. Oh. In those days, we had, and then I had to drive a Ferrari in Hunter, and yeah. the stunt lady was my, she drove the Ferrari around the canyons. Yeah. She looked just like me from the back. Yeah. This stunt lady crashed the Ferrari and broke the door. Yeah. So, I had to jump into the car over the door. Like, <laughs> it was so crazy. They showed yeah. me jumping over the door, getting in. Well, wait, so they didn't even give you a stunt woman? They didn't even have, like, say, oh, you know, we don't want you no, to get I hurt. Did. Oh. Yeah, I did have a stunt woman. Oh, you that. did? Okay, okay. Oh. But not for the swimming scene in Lake Malibu and Hunter. Oh. The director is on a boat way across the lake with all the cameras and the yeah. camera crew. Yeah. And I'm on a houseboat trying to kiss. Hunter and I are kissing. Yeah. And um, we're supposed to look like we're alone out in the lake. Yeah. For some reason, the director was like, jump in the water. You're not supposed to do that if you're an actor. In freezing water that have all sorts of slimy creatures in it. And yeah. I just decided to go for it. And I dove into the water. And I swim back up. The camera crew's on a boat over in the distance. And they forgot to put a ladder down for me. I could not get back up on the boat. <laughs> all you see is my ass. It must have been like close up on my ass trying to like... 
But like, how did you just keep getting work after work, uh, guest spots after guest spots? Like, how did that come about? Like, you know, after you finished Too Close for Comfort, there was like, hey, we got a guest um, spot for this and this and that. Well, those were mainly on hiatus. You know, you finish oh, okay. 22 episodes a year. We would shoot live in front of an audience every Friday night. We'd shoot two shows every Friday on Too Close for Comfort. Mm-hmm. And we'd only do 22 weeks a year. So we'd have a week off every three weeks. It was a pretty cushy job. Wow. you go to work Monday morning. Ted didn't want to go to work before noon on Mondays. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then we would block, we would read the script with bagels and donuts and the crew would sit around reading the script on a Monday morning or Monday at noon. Yeah. And then we would block it, which means we'd put masking tape on where our positions are. And we'd walk around, you know, in the rehearsal studio. Mm-hmm. Back in those days, we were at KTLA. We were at Metro Media, and John Ritter was next door in Three's Company. Oh, wow. He was okay. doing... No, no, not Three's Company. He was doing that spin-off. Oh, Three's a Crowd, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Good. You, you know your stuff. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so he would pop his head in and say hi. I couldn't believe he died so young. Yeah. I mean, he died suddenly, 52 years old. But... Yeah. um. So it was fun. We would we would all be joking and telling jokes all day and just eating and being crazy. And then Tuesday was a day when, with the director. We would like really block the show and have to know our lines a little better. By Wednesday, we had a run through with the producers. Ted was always nervous. Yeah. No one likes the producers. We, nobody liked them. We thought, who are they? They're just these creepy people that come down and look at us. <laughs> Actors are really big babies. We're all immature, you know. Yeah. And we just wanted to play and be alone and like. <laughs> Ted would go they're coming down behave everybody behave and we'd have to like be good because we're being watched it was like having an audience and they were critical they would sit there and look at us and go Ted on that line we want you to like come on be more do more action there and, mm. Lydia you're screwing up that part and they were very critical of me because I couldn't look him in the eye sometimes I was laughing too hard Yeah, <laughs> it was really fun so then Thursday was a rehearsal run through with cameras and then Friday's the real show and then we get all nervous because the audience comes in and, and then we'd have um, come back to work Monday three weeks on one week off 22 episodes a year then in the hiatus they would call me up for all the guest starring stuff oh okay okay so then that's how you got the other spots while you was on hiatus and you got the yeah they would okay. look at the stars that were hot and they would say let's get Lydia for this you know yeah. guest starring on yeah. Hunter A-team. I had to audition for Hunter Really? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't think I could act. They thought she's a dumb blonde. We gotta. That's. I'm writing a book called Hiding My Brain in My Bra. And I'm gonna make a TV show out of it right now. I just oh, wrote 26 episodes. Oh wow! We're Congratulations. Yeah, we're, thank you. We're gonna sell it. I mean, we're. I have a partner who loves this project so much, and he's sending it out next week all the big companies so it is it like it's basically your life loosely based on your life or it's just yeah okay but okay. really really funny but the, the core story is the recovery story because when i got sober in 1994 24 years ago yeah. my life changed so radically from being in fear and panic and depression to being happy being able to see everything through the lens of humor i don't know what happened to me but i was able 
it's, I had this amazing spiritual awakening in 1994, yeah. a gotcha, a huge catastrophic awakening, yeah. where one minute I couldn't stop drinking, yeah. and I was literally a radioactive blackout drinker, yeah. and I had a brand new baby, and it was really scary. Yeah. I was holding the baby at the top of the staircase, going yeah. into a blackout. Yeah. And through the grace of God, or whatever you want to call this energy of love, the force of love, yeah. My whole life changed the minute I surrendered. It's a pretty cool story. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you, would you mind talking about that? Because my, my, my father passed away from alcoholism whew, a long time ago, and he died from cirrhosis of the liver. And it was just like, it just had a hold of him. He went to rehab and everything, but it just, I don't know. It was just... I'm so sorry. No, no, it's okay. I'm so sorry. It was just too much. Like, how did... You know, I'm just curious myself, like, how did you, like, what is it, like, a lot of therapy? Like, how did you overcome no. that? No. No, this is so weird. I was, I had been secretly drinking for years. I had this kind of fear and panic over the industry. You know, in women in the industry, when you turn 35, they throw you away. Literally, in my time, they were going, oh, you're, you know, you're a sex symbol. You can't last more than your 30s. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to have children really badly and get married and, it's a hard town to do that in. Mm -hmm. This town seems to treat women a little differently than men. You, men are allowed to age. I was looking at a picture of Michelle, Fle Michelle Pfeiffer mm -hmm. and George Clooney. And George Clooney has crow's feet and gray salt and pepper hair. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if Michelle Pfeiffer was allowed to have all those wrinkles and that gray salt and pepper hair? Yeah. They're the exact same age, but she has to have every wrinkle airbrushed out. I mean, it's just tougher on women Yeah. in the industry I'm in. So... Yeah. So at the time I started drinking, I was also flying around the world doing these crazy, they'd fly me around the world doing tennis tournaments in Monte Carlo with Prince Albert and wow. really weird trips. They would give you a first class ticket to go hang out with um, Princess Stephanie and, and Sean Connery and the coach of the Lakers, Pat Riley and yeah. Zsa Gabor and all these crazy celebrities. Wow. And Frank Gifford, I was finally with the Gifford family and. Jenny Craig was there. It was just these <laughs> celebrities and iconic corporate people. Yeah. And, Sean, you know, and it was really fun. But I was secretly starting to really drink heavily. Mm. And I was hiding it pretty well. I thought I was hiding it pretty well. But you never know. Yeah. And um, I didn't know how bad it was, but it was a form of depression. Alcoholism is a form of being unable to control yourself in your environment. Mm -hmm. And it's a numbing. It makes you feel... One more drink. I'll get through this. Maybe tomorrow I'll quit. Yeah. Like the movie Airplane. I'll quit tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. realize you can never quit. I'm so sorry about your father. No, no, it's okay. Um, I lost my brother also the first year I got sober. I found his body. What? what? He died of a drug overdose. And he was a concert pianist. And he was only 38 years old. And he, he tried heroin three times and he was gone. Wow. And uh, I was a year sober when I found him. But... What happened to me was I, well, I was at an age where I, I really wanted babies and I couldn't meet the right man and I finally got pregnant and I had this beautiful baby. Mm -hmm. And I didn't drink during the pregnancy, but the minute he was born, I couldn't stop drinking. Mm. And one day on Labor Day weekend, September 11th, September 9th, I, I hit my bottom. I went to some Labor Day barbecues, mm -hmm. and I had him in the car, and I was driving with him while I was drunk. Oh my! And nothing happened, thank God, to my child. But 
my mother was bringing over my uncle to meet the baby the next day, and I remember being all alone in the house with the baby crying in the other room. And I got up in the middle of the night, or I got up when I heard the doorbell ringing at the bottom of the staircase, this long, dark staircase. I lived in a townhouse in Beverly Hills. And um, I picked up the baby, and I pulled, took him to the top of the staircase, thinking I was just going to walk down the stairs, and I went into a complete blackout. Oh, my God. I, to this day, I don't know how I got down the stairs. Wow. But by the grace of God. And when I opened the door, all I remember was my mother almost screaming. They took the baby away from me for several days. They, you know, it was a pretty weird experience. And then a week later, they did an intervention. I went down to my sister's house for dinner. I had a nanny living with me at the time. Yeah. The baby, I had the baby with me the whole time. But for that day and a half after that incident, um, I walked to my sister's house for, and I walk into her house and there's an intervention. There's a doctor there from Brotman Hospital and there's my brother yeah. and there's my mother and stepfather and they all said, Lydia, you need help. And I said, me, look at my brother. He's the pothead, Paul. <laughs> they go, but you're the one with the baby. Yeah. And I went to the doctor the next day. I went to that Rotman Hospital, and it's the same place where a lot of people in AA have gone first. Mm -hmm. And I went wearing a dark, short wig, thinking, I'm too famous to be sober. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was such an idiot. And I go in, and he goes, I go, I'm really embarrassed. And he goes, your ego's in the way. Yeah. He said, everyone in town is sober. All the creative people in LA who are doing anything good in their lives are all sober. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. And... He said, well, we're going to put you in a 28-day rehab. And I went home and I thought about it. And I go, I can do this without the rehab. I don't want to be away from my baby for 28 mm. days. Yeah. And literally the next day after this Labor Day barbecue, where I drove around feeling in a fog. The very On the Tuesday morning, September 11th, 1994, to this day, I don't know how I got there. I walked into the Good Shepherd Church in Beverly Hills in mm -hmm. my first AA meeting shiny, happy, beautiful women in there, the smell of cinnamon and pastries and coffee brewing. And the first thing I heard, I'm wearing a hat and sunglasses looking incognito, going, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. I walk in, and the first thing I hear from the woman who's speaking at the podium, she says, if you've wandered into this room and you don't know if you're an alcoholic, let's put it this way, virgins don't take pregnancy tests. Mm. <laughs> the cool. whole room burst into laughter. <laughs> and it was such a happy room. And when they said, are there any alcoholics present, my hand shot up without my permission. It just shot up in the air. Wow. I raised my hand, and that was my first surrender. That was my first prayer ever in my life to give this up, admitting it out, admitting it. Mm -hmm. And my hand going up in the air was the first real moment where I felt like I can take off the mask and be real. I was covering it up for years. And a river of tears just flowed out of me. I could not stop crying. And it was a beautiful meeting. And I remember at the end of it, all these women came over to me and hugged me. And they did that with newcomers. Yeah. And one woman said, let's go home and talk. Can I, can I go home with you or can I take you out for coffee? Yeah. And this is the God shot that happened. The biggest one in my life was there was a secret I was harboring that nobody knew. But I hated my mother. She was very, I love her now, but I, I hated her so much for giving away my Barbies when I was going to college. <laughs> yeah. 
But she did. It, she gave away everything I ever loved. She was a clean freak and couldn't stand clutter. And so anything I loved, she threw it away, right? Yeah. Well, the one thing I said, whatever you do, Mom, never give these away. They're going to be worth a fortune. I had, like, some of the original Barbies. Oh and the God. whole dream house, the whole thing. Wow. I had Ken doll with, with the hair made of fuzz, the real hair made of fuzz. <laughs> wow. This midge doll with freckles, real freckles painted on. I had, like, the original... I said, Mom, I'm going to give these to my daughter one day. And she said, when the minute I came home from college, she had thrown them away. She gave them away. She said, you didn't need those things. She didn't remember, didn't care. It was just something I resented her for. Mm -hmm. And I was harboring resentment for many years because there was a Broadway musical on Barbie. Barbie became really valuable. And it just got to me. And every day I would have fights about it throughout our lives. It was kind of stupid, but... mm. You're not going to believe this. I, no one knew about this. But I was still fighting with her the day before. She had been really weird toward me. She had a, She's bipolar. Mm-hmm. And we had a horrible fight even about it a couple days earlier. So mm-hmm. I go to this meeting. AA. A woman takes me home. We have coffee in my garden. Mm-hmm. And she says, out of the blue, she says this to me, out of the blue, she goes, Lydia, you're going to overcome every resentment you ever had in this program. Mm-hmm. She said this. I overcame a lifelong resentment against my mother for giving away my Barbies. And I said to her, am I on a hidden camera show? The hair on my neck stood up and I went, what? How did you know? And she goes, oh, did that happen to you too? I've never heard it before or since. But it was my big God shot. It was the way God looked. It was the way the universe, whatever this thing I call God is, looked at me and said, I'm going to give you something so big, a neon sign. And from that moment on, I've never had a craving to have a drink of alcohol since that day. Wow. And I've had hundreds of those God shots ever since. They're weird. They're coincidences that are too uncanny to be random. Wow. And then this was the last drink you had was in 94, right? 94 was the last? Okay. Wow. It was almost the holidays. It was September. I went through the holidays. I went to parties with liquor. I didn't crave a drink with liquor all around me. That is insane. Wow. I couldn't stop drinking before this. Wow. But, like, um, you don't drink at all, right? Not even, like, let's say a, no, a wine no, here and there. Nothing, right? Okay. Nothing. Wow. I don't I don't want to because I have a lot of sponsees I help. I have opiate addict sponsees. Yeah. Kids I mentor. I sponsor young women. I wouldn't want to break my sobriety because I don't want to show them. Gotcha. gotcha. First of all, it just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to drink. I don't need to drink. It's so weird. I get high. I'm more high on life. Believe me, when you stop the numbing yourself, you feel everything. You feel better. Mm-hmm. You also feel more pain, but you feel more beautiful emotional pain. You can write about it and write poetry and you can sing and your creative gifts start to come out. And it's really from prayer. It's from actually asking the universe to help you. I call it God, but I'm not religious. Mm-hmm. Religion is man-made. God is kind of the love inside all of us. Mm-hmm. And it's so healing because in meetings... You're going there, it's kind of like when two or three are gathered together, there's the spirit of love, mm-hmm. this joint effort to help each other. And you, you can, I go to meetings where there's people from all walks of life, you know, veterans, um, people that are gang members. I, go to, I went to one meeting and this gang member is going, I've never been so happy, what happened to me? I'm so <laughs> joyous, I'm almost like a nerd now, but he's just like a recovered gang member and he's yeah. like totally sober and... I said, I feel like a gang member because I've been going through some trials with my sister. Yeah. But 
makes meetings make you laugh they make you cry it just feels like we're all one one big family you know yeah like everybody's helping each other out everybody's being supportive of each other for you know their situation right it's the best church in the world because it's people who have really been at the point of death and mm-hmm. they're resurrected i mean they're they're brand new yeah. And they all have these stories like I have, the Godshot stories. So many have that. Yeah. There was one meeting I went to recently the other day with a CIA agent who helped bust the Bonanno family, the mm-hmm. crime family. Yeah. Um, he was also in Vietnam. Then you hear stories from mothers who lost their children and got their kids back once they're sober. You know, big movie stars. I mean, everybody's in. It's just a beautiful thing. I shouldn't talk about AA as much as 12-step recovery because... It's supposed to be anonymous. Okay. And the reason it's anonymous is because it's okay. I mean, I'm doing it, but I want to help people mm-hmm. to realize there's hope, you know? Yeah. And they have it for everything. They have it for money, debtors anonymous. They have it for overeaters. They have it yeah. for relationships, codependence, you know? Wow. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. And it's, it's a, you know, it's, the struggle that you've been through and, and you know is, is it like do you feel like you have an everyday struggle now or do you feel like every day no. is a vic- no no struggles at all like every day like it's it's like a brand new you right yeah i don't have struggle with with drugs or alcohol at all anymore mm. my but i have chocolate and i have you know addictions <laughs> to like wanting to look at facebook or you know maybe a bad relationship here and there i had and i feel like i finally am at peace with all of that yeah. um the relationship thing. I went through a really bad breakup last summer and I oh. thought it was going to kill me. It was so painful, but I didn't even think of drinking. Mm-hmm. I thought of processing it, writing about it, mm-hmm. making art out of it, you know, mm-hmm. and through pain, the only way out of, out of your pain is through, through. doesn't mean you have to feel every emotion and let it hurt you because feelings are not facts, mm-hmm. but there is a higher power helping us if you surrender to it and lean on it. And every bad thing that ever happened to me, the one gift I got out of sobriety is that I'm able to see the silver lining. It may sound corny, but every bad thing that's ever happened to me actually has a good side to it. Mm-hmm. Almost inevitably, inevitably, it leads to something better that I didn't see clearly at the time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Wow. It's a life's journey of getting to know yourself and getting to know how to sculpt your own reality. Yeah. You can wake up with a new a new feeling about life every day. I had depression. And that, alcoholism is a form of depression. Yeah. And that was suicidal depression to think I could walk around and blitzed out like that. And, you know, it's like escaping life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my heart goes out to people who are severely depressed. It is a chemical imbalance, but I really believe that you, you know, you need medication sometimes, but you also need to pray or to change your thinking or to find out that core a band-aid approach is to is to put a drug on it right yeah yeah that's sometimes true. but there is a core reason for all this when i cleaned out the stuff that was bothering me the most from my childhood and i forgave my mother forgiveness opened up my heart mm-hmm. and i now live a free life that mm-hmm. hatred i had for her it, it was going to kill me yeah. and if you hold in resentments and bad feelings about somebody too long it starts to hurt your heart yeah. Heart, the heart is the organ of love. You've got to free that up. I really believe our emotions cause illnesses. Mm. Like they say, people with back pain look mm. back too much. Mm. They look back and they regret the past too much. They carry the burden in their back. And mm. it's really true. I mean, once you clean up the past and you go, 
I forgive myself for anything I've ever done. I'm going to do better now. Yeah. I make amends to people who I've hurt. That's part of the program. You make amends. Yeah. You clean up your, your, your bullshit. You, know, your, you look at your side of the street in every argument. You're, you're partly to blame for something, at least believing a liar or not having the faith and courage yeah. to get out of a bad situation. Yeah. How about your relationship situation? Like, did, did, did you forgive your ex or is it vice versa? Did he forgive you or he, did he apologize to you? Or? Yeah, he apologized. I forgave him. I realized his, his pathology. His, he was so abused as, as a child himself. He had no mother. And actually, to tell you the truth, a great gift happened with my marriage when I went through a divorce. This boyfriend that I just went through, I totally see him for... I, I have compassion for him now. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I don't really want him back. I did for a long time. It really hurt. But I saw that it was God's way of moving me out of that relationship because it wasn't good for me. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a fully loving person. He wasn't fully clear. He wasn't really... Not clear, but I mean... Um, secretive yeah he was secretive okay but okay in my marriage i've written comedy out of it it was the funniest marriage and it was painful at the time when we when we ended the marriage but something happened when i'm writing my book about my marriage Mm -hmm. and i realized my ex-husband had a little boy had brittle bone disease and i raised two little boys together my biological son and his Wow. So I had this beautiful little family, and when I was driving one day, I realized Paul, something happened that was really strange. He didn't know the meaning of a certain word that everybody learns in seventh grade. I'm not going to say the word because you're going to laugh, but it's, it's in my <laughs> Say book. the word, say the word. <laughs> no, it's really, okay, okay. He didn't know the meaning of the word labyrinth. Labyrinth, Okay. A labyrinth is a maze. And, and I learned it in seventh grade. There was a book called The Minotaur and the Labyrinth. Yeah. There's been movies called Pan's yeah. Labyrinth. Yeah. And, and and Labyrinth with, um, oh, what's the, uh, David Bowie, right? Labyrinth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah David Bowie. Yeah. So I'm, we're driving one day and I mentioned the word labyrinth. And he goes, what does that mean? And I went, oh, my God, you're kidding. <laughs> we're laughing about it. And, and then it struck me when I'm writing my book after our divorce. We got divorced for other reasons. It's a very funny divorce. And actually, we're good friends today. But the first day of seventh grade, I said, that's a seventh grade mythology word. And the first day of seventh grade, he walked in the garage in Waukesha, Wisconsin, to get his bike to go to school on the first day of 12 years old. And he found his mother's dead body. She had committed suicide that night. Carbon monoxide poisoning in in the car. And his father said, I'm moving the new one. His father was having an affair, and that's why she did it. She shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have told her son, I'm going to, you know, do this to myself because your dad's having an affair. She was troubled. She was, you know, on Valium and taking vodka every day and and probably had her own demons. But she threatened to do this, and nobody believed she would do it. But her little boy, my Mm ex-husband... He had to stuff his feelings, and he wasn't allowed to cry. His father wouldn't say, don't cry in the house. Don't embarrass me in front of your new mother. He brought the new woman in. And that damage, that little damage to his psyche at that age caused him to cover up a lot of things in his life later, to always be the cheerleader, 
to never be able to really be honest with people. And he had a lot of problems with honesty. But he was always trying to make everything look glossy and rosy and good, right? Mm -hmm. And he had a little boy with brittle bone disease, and it dawned on me, in my marriage with him, he was always trying to re-father, be a re-parent, the little broken boy inside himself. And all he wanted was a mother for Kevin, for his little boy. And I became that mother. Mm. And whatever demons he had, we couldn't heal them in this marriage. We both were trying to heal the ancient wounds of our childhood together in our marriage. Mm -hmm. We graduated, we did some good healing, but parts of it were impossible to heal, you know? Yeah. And he needed to do that later with someone else. I just think sometimes you're meant to be with people for, that marriage wasn't meant to last for some reason, Yeah. but only the good remains. There was good in it, you know? Yeah. Wow, that's, 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 that's crazy. Like, it's, it's almost like... It's like two broken people try to heal, heal um, try to heal each other, but like you was you was great as a parent for that time being, you know, for his kid as well. You know, it was just, you know, like life is funny that way. How you know things happen and to people and how it affects people in different ways because some people deal with it and there's no therapy. I don't know if he had therapy or not, but some people don't have the luxury not even the luxury or don't have anybody to talk to or they just bottle everything up inside and they don't let anything out because yeah you know they feel like they can't trust nobody because you know they don't want to look be looked at different or if you're a man if you're like oh you're a man you, you know you don't you don't need to cry you're a man men don't cry and what and whatnot right. so a lot of people deal with that and just feel inferior and like no i can't tell nobody my problems because i'm a man and that's i'm not exactly it you that's know exactly it you're right well, and he couldn't talk to anybody. Wow. I remember a lot of his friends would say, one day he's going to open up. He he cried once in front of me, and it was when his dog died. And I kept thinking, I'm just going to love him through all this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was a skate artist. He needed to constantly be shining for someone new and jazzing it up. And I, I finally saw all this clearly when I wrote the book. Because mm -hmm. writing, and it's, main, it's mainly comedy. Yeah. I mean, I have some really funny stuff in there. We had the most hilarious marriage. But... Wow. It was the, it was just by writing that it came, I think that's how spiritual, the spirit uses you when you're writing or you're doing your art. Yeah. Things come through. It's like, wow, I didn't even know that. I forgave him when I started writing that part of it. Wow. Because I saw him, his little boy. Yeah. The little boy who saw his mother, you know. But, like, when you was writing it, you was remembering everything because you have to remember everything that you're writing. So, like, all this stuff was just hitting yeah. you back in the head. It just hit me suddenly that... Why did, well, I don't know where I got the idea that only in seventh grade did I word the, for some reason for me, that's where labyrinth was the first time I heard the word. Yeah. And then I realized he never really went back to school after seventh grade. He kind of barely walked through life, sleepwalked through those next few years. Wow. Who knows if he ever really opened a book after that or, you know, he was a football player in high school and his father was the coach and there was a lot of, he didn't want to lose his other parent. So you've got to put on a happy face all the time for this other... When you start stuffing your feelings, um, you know, hiding them yeah. under so many layers of fear and survival instincts, who knows what happens? That's why people... You're right. They need You need therapy. You need some sort of deep fellowship of the spirit, talking to people somehow about your issues. And when I started doing that in the program, regarding my mother... I was able to forgive her, and that softened the load. I didn't need to drink anymore 
to cover up all the anger I had for, I had a lot of anger toward the entertainment industry too. Yeah. Just for being, you know, thinking I was a dumb blonde. Yeah. <laughs> or like looking at you, well, like being, you know, see you as a sex symbol, like, oh, she's just a sex pot. Like, did that yeah. bother you too? Because you're like, hey, yeah. I'm not just a sex pot. I, I don't have boobs and blonde hair. Like, there's, there's more to me than that, you know, right? Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I have all these funny jokes I've written about, um, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. all human suffering is caused by Victoria's Secret. And, you know, you can't get a job in Hollywood Hollywood without lap dancer on your resume, and that's the writers. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm in withdrawal from cleavage. I was mistaken for a hooker by my mother and the police. What? On my way to an entourage audition one day. Oh, my God. I had to wear a dog collar, and, a, and I was wearing these thigh-high Oh, okay. Boots. Every role is either a hooker or a grandmother in this town, or a mother. You know, you're a hooker or a mother. Wow. But... I was dressed up like that, and I was I was wearing like fishnet stockings and these stiletto boots and this dog collar and and we and I was driving to Coldwater Canyon, trying to get to Burbank for an audition. I think it, yeah, it was for Entourage. Yeah. And um, what was the audition? It was on the other side of the hill. And all of us, we had a car. Every car hit. It was a chain reaction. A woman jumped in front of the car in front of mine. Mm-hmm. I rear-ended the car in front of me. We all had a mass accident. I wow. get out. I look like a hooker. The cops look at me. I'm going, I'm not a hooker. I'm an actress. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. This town is so ridiculous. Oh, my God. <laughs> like the first thing that comes out of your mouth. I'm not a hooker. I'm an, act- I'm an actress. <laughs> oh They're giving me the dirty look like, and why are you dressed like this? But then after that, women started dressing like that every day. The Pussycat Dolls were performing on Live with Kelly and Regis in the morning. I'm yeah. like, why are people dressed in S&M gear? <laughs> you know, first thing in the morning. It became like, oh, well, this is just the way we dress. Yeah, it was, it was the norm, right? That was pretty much the norm. I don't know, yeah. like, like my first my first perception, like, I remember when I was younger, like, watching Beverly Hills Cop, and then you see some guy, a girl walking with a lion, and dudes in, um, like, the thriller jackets, like, that's my perception of, like, California when I was younger. I was like, is it really like that? Do people were walking with lions and, and, and jewel, big diamonds and those big hats, and people are Michael Jackson fanatics, and everybody has a thriller jacket? Like, that's, that was, like, my perception of it. <laughs> Have you been out here? I've never been to California at all. That's like a dream of mine to go to California one day. You gotta come out here and visit me. Oh, definitely. All the fun places. That's so cool. Yeah. That you haven't been. That's really yeah amazing. Like you know, like being in New York, it's crazy because you know I lived in New York all my life. Now I'm in uh, Wisconsin, so it's a big culture shock and big difference. But in New York City, like. Is 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 just there's so much diversity, so much different foods, so much you know. It's it's the people. It's live. It's dirty. Don't get me wrong, but it's like you can go anywhere and just you have fun. You don't really need money for anything. You can just go places and just see culture. Yeah, yeah. See culture. I love New York for that. You're right. Oh, do you miss it then? Yeah, I. Yeah, I, I, I miss the New York pizza, and I, I, I just miss, like, the diversity, you know? I just miss the diversity of it, you know? Because, well, wait, wait, why did you move to Wisconsin? Well, um, my wife 
um, her family is in Wisconsin, and she was living in New York for 12 years. So, you know, out there in, in New York, it's it was a struggle because, like, you know, we were just pretty much living check to check, you know, apartment living, and, you know, we really didn't yeah. have enough for anything, you know, everything, you know. And then, you know, my daughter's yeah. getting older, and she wanted to be home because she wanted to be, you know, closer to her mom and dad, and her grandparents are still alive, oh. so she wanted to be close to home. So, yeah, you know, we pretty much took the plunge and moved out here, and we pretty much been out here for the past three years now and it's still i'm still getting used to it you know it's still yeah. you know because my family's in new york so it's you go back at all um i haven't been back since i moved down here to be honest with you oh, honey. Been back. yeah can you draw can, where's your family live in new york in can they're they're in um, manhattan they're in manhattan in new york yeah. Yeah, the east side. So if you went back, could you stay there with them? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I definitely could. But I don't know. Like, it's been, like, since I moved out there, it's, I don't know. It's just, like, I don't know. It's, like, it's like almost not, like, it's, like, when you leave the nest, it's, like, nobody. I don't know. Like, I, I moved out here. Like, nobody really calls me like that. So it's, like, kind of, like, hard, you know. Not, you know, I'm not saying it so you could feel bad for me, but it's just like, you know, everybody's doing, you know, like it goes on. Life goes on, basically, you know? Yeah. Like if I don't call, nobody will call me, basically, you know? Oh, I hate that. I know, but you've got to figure out a way to make a New York life in Wisconsin. What city do you live in, Wisconsin? Um, Twin Lakes. Twin Lakes. Oh, it's, it's a small. Pretty though, right? Yeah, it's, it's very population, like 6,000, you know? So it's very. Wow. very... What do you do all day? What are you doing there for fun? Um, well, for fun is like, you go to the movies, there's garage sales. Um. <laughs> Maybe you should open up a New York pizza parlor and make a New York. You know what? I, I like, if I had connections like that, I've said that plenty of times, like a New York pizza or like, like, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. So like a Puerto Rican, like restaurant out here with yeah. a little bit of diversity, people would just go wild, I think, because, you know. You should. Maybe start just cooking out of your house and have a little, well, figure I, out a way to have a little. Yeah, well, I'm not that great of a cook. I mean, I, I cook, but not like old school, like Spanish style. Like my mom could, could throw down in the kitchen, but like me, I, I, I can do a little bit, but not and to open up a restaurant with, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel for you, but you're doing a good thing with the podcast. You're reaching the whole, you're going to reach the whole world, really. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> You know, but like, you know, the thing, the thing out here is like they, for example, um, you know, there's, there's like one Dairy Queen in my area, but there's this couple that opened up, um, uh, like what's that called? Um, you know, um, Dairy Queen is like soft serve ice cream. They open up like, yeah. uh, like they open up an ice cream shop. There's like a Baskin Robbins. So like that place gets so packed because that's the only one in the area. So everybody goes there. I'm like, oh my God, it's a simple ice cream shop in New York. There's like a dozen of these, but like small towns like this, you know, having like a hard ice cream spot around here is rare so like you know people go there it's like you know yeah. like a lot of people going in there getting like um ten dollars for like a 23 scoop ice cream like different flavors and whatnot oh so it, it's just fascinating seeing that coming from the city and you know a lot of people are like kind of like not backwards but they're more like they don't no, they're not exposed to different cultures, so it's just like they just have this preconceived notion, you know. Like people yeah. thought when I moved out here, a lot of people thought I was a black man because I guess <laughs> since I'm dark, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I'm just Did like, they no, say that to you? Did yeah, no, no, like they didn't say it to my well, to my face, but there's people I, yeah. you know, like oh, um, like they'll tell another coworker like, oh, I thought he was a black guy. I didn't, I didn't know he was Sp Puerto Rican, Spanish, because you know, 
it's ignorance, but it's yeah, like they're not they're, yeah, yeah. they're not exposed to it. Where do you, do you work in it? Do you like your job? I mean, do you have a? Is it? Fun? Well, yeah, it's 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 okay. Like I work at a factory, so it's not like you know I'm I'm there pretty much by myself. Like I'm I'm there with a couple of coworkers from like two hours yeah. out of the day, but like I'm there like by myself from like 10 hours yeah. on so oh, it's, it's okay right. yeah it's okay you know but it's just it's, it's, it's totally different from city city jobs it's totally different. Yeah, i know the city is so much fun and i was in new york a couple of years ago for my high school reunion oh okay and i didn't realize how cool my high school people have become i mean they're all like really cool people one of them is a big entertainment lawyer for bruce springsteen and lots of people like that oh wow and um yeah, and I didn't know all that. And, I, and one of my high school friends, who I didn't even know in high school very well, um, because I got famous after high school, and then everybody looks at me like, oh, now we get to know you. Because back then, I was such a nerd and outcast. Uh, I had one friend I took to the prom, my gay friend, Monroe, yeah. whom, by the way, they named Monroe in the Too Close for Comfort. They oh. took me to lunch, and they said, do you have any crazy friends? And I said, Monroe. Oh. And they named the crazy guy Monroe, my friend Jim Bullock. Oh wow, that's a that's a that's a good trivia thing. Oh my god, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know, isn't that weird? Yeah, that's a yeah. good that's a good good trivial pursuit thing. You know, he was named after your friend. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, good. I, yeah, I should have told you that. Wow. So um, so to me, um, yeah, just. What was I saying? I can't believe it. Your high, um, your high school reunion and like everybody's successful. Oh, yeah. yeah. So being in New York, one of the high school friends said, I'm leaving for to go to the West Coast to see my son. You can have my condo in the Greenwich Village yeah. while oh. you're here. Gorgeous penthouse condo, all glass. I get to stay there for free for two weeks. And then I met Facebook fans whom I adore and love. I've known them for many years on Facebook. Yeah. We're all kind of in recovery together and we're all really good friends. I went to their place in Staten Island and stayed with them, and then I stayed with the other family around the corner, and we all went out to New Jersey for deli food. Just like a really oh, fun time, you know? That sounds awesome. You see, that's the thing about New York, right? You, the deli, don't you, like, you know, because I, I don't know if you have that in California. Like, we don't have that here in Wisconsin, but, like, going to a corner store, like a little deli that's open, getting, like, a little sandwich or something like that. And, oh, love it, yeah. A bodega, oh. you mean? Yes, bodega. There you go, bodega, yep. There you go, yep. Yo hablo español porque yo viví en Paso Tejas un tajores por 13 años. Aquí aprendí español desde niña de edad Okay, I speak Spanish, and I'm trying to show off. But it's not <laughs> <laughs> you just let down the lingo right off me, and it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I stutter step right there. <laughs> You're Puerto Rican, and I'm from the El Paso, Texas. Yeah. Juarez, yeah, Tejano, so like it's, it's like Texican, Mexican, like the Tex-Mex. Tex right? Yeah, that's why I say yeah. Texicans. Mexicans yeah. from Texas, Texicans, that's why I say. That's a good one, Texicans, I yep. love it. And I'm so grateful that I was from El Paso that I got to speak Spanish as a child and learned it fluently, you know? Wow, that's awesome. They, I see, Mm -hmm. I you, but you could blend in the city well because you got Spanish people all over, depending where you go, like the east side, uptown Manhattan, there's, you know... You know, you you have like where I used to live at. I used to live on on one ten and Fifth Avenue, like right at Central Park, like where the Central Park opening is at on one hundred and ten. So like when you take the train to one twenty fifth, you got 
you know, the Apollo, the black area. So you got like Spanish, black, you go downtown to 86, you got white, you, then you Brooklyn, uh, ben, like Bensonhurst, you got the Italians, then you got the Hasidic Jews. And, uh, oh, I love it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I don't see that no more. So it's just like, wow, you know, it's just so oh, different, wow. you know. You guys have to take a vacation and drive there or go take a train and get there again yeah. for a vacation. Yes, yes. I don't, don't you I, think? Yes. Does your wife work also in Wisconsin? Does she have a job there? Yeah, she's a, she's a teacher. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. That is so beautiful that you've been married to your love, of, your love since high school? No, no, um, no. We actually met. When I we like when I was working at Wall Street, we met at Wall Street, and um, she was uh, I was um, oh my God, um, she was customer service, and I worked at Office Services, and this was in two thousand nine. We met, mm-hmm. so we've been this two thousand nineteen now. So yeah, we've been together. I don't know, like our first date is like we went out on our first date make a long story short then I, I she was living with roommates i stood over the house and then that was that was a wrap like she, like she couldn't kick me out <laughs> oh, no. wait how long ago you met i mean how long ago did you get married oh uh, oh my god 2000 oh my god i got my wedding picture somewhere she's gonna <laughs> kill me no fine <laughs> It's oh boy, hold on. It's uh, my picture's there. <laughs> I'm actually going for the picture. Yes, two, yeah, 2000, 2010. I'm sorry, 2010. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's great. How old is your daughter? Um, she's seven. Oh my god, that's a great age. So, you're doing the right thing, I think, for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah especially, yeah, that, that's a thing. That's also a thing because yeah. out here. It's more opportunities for her out here. The schools are very yeah. good. The education is very good as opposed to public schools. Right. Like, the, you know, it's like you're trading, like you trade in for like a better education. But the only thing that lacks here is diversity. So it's like she's not exposed to different cultures, but she's getting a better education, um, um, better learning, one-on-one learning. You know, the kids are not overpopulated like there are in public schools. So yeah. it's, it's pros and cons to everything, but I think this is more of a pro than a con. So Good. Yeah, it's really important when the kids are little to do the right thing. And I, I raised my kids... Um, I stayed home most of the time, and it was kind of good that I wasn't always doing a movie or running around the world. By the way, I have a funny story about the movie I did with James Earl Jones and Jose Ferrer in Greece. Oh, please, the details, yes. Yeah, the first movie I did, I got it right before I got my series, mm-hmm. and I was hired instantly to be, it was like I I got paid the same as Bo Derek got for 10. You're probably way younger. Oh, I remember Bo Derek, yeah. Ten was like was that was was she in the bikini in that movie? Ten, yeah, right? she yes, was the, the yes. Ten. She was the beautiful ten. Yes, and okay. So, and I actually dated Dudley Moore at the time. Oh, I met him at the Playboy Mansion. I started going up there. I was so appalled by the Playboy thing. I would never do nudity. I yeah. refused to do nudity. They yeah. asked me, and I said, "No, I just can't do that." Oh, you got approached but, for um, that? Oh, what? I said you got approached yeah, by you. Yeah, have, and I was wow. also approached by after I became well-known, you know, famous, um, a bunch of us were sent letters in gold, on real gold stationery, with gold leaf, from Larry Flint, a hustler, and he wrote, he said, I will pay you $1 million to pose nude for Hustler. Nobody would do it. I said, no, never, because it's such a gross magazine. Yeah. Oh, my God, at that time. But he asked me, and Victoria Principal, and Farrah Fawcett, and 
Heather Thomas or Heather Locklear. Yes, I mean, oh my God, the Heathers, Heather Thomas, Heather Locklear. Yes, from the Fall Guy. I totally remember. Yeah. Yes, yes, wow. Whatever happened to Heather Thomas? Wow. She's a friend of mine now. She has a lot of really cool. She's married to a really cool lawyer. They have a beautiful home in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. She has morning salon breakfasts for all the political leaders. She's always campaigning wow. for Democratic causes, and Governor Newsom was at her house. Oh, wow. So she's really into that. Um, she's a really cool lady. We were on the cover of Us Magazine together. Wow. She still has that cover. And so when I ran into her again, we became friendly. Wow. And I was at her house recently interviewing her. She was being interviewed for a book on a surfer that died. I brought her. I brought a British journalist over, and we started talking. Wow. I don't know her really well, but I hung out at her house a few yeah. times. I know, because she's been, like, incognito. Like, I haven't been, like, yeah. out, like off the radar at all. You know, wow. Totally off the radar. Oh, she's a writer now. She writes books and stuff. Oh. But... Yeah, all right. Being- yeah, back to you. Yeah. Okay. This is a really cute story, because I get this movie. Uh-huh. Um... And it's this great cast. James Earl Jones wasn't on Darth Vader. wasn't on Star Wars yet, right? Yeah. What 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 year was this? This was. It was nineteen eighty. Well, I think the first Star Wars came out in seventy seven, I believe. Oh wait a minute! Then right? he was. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So it, he was already well known. He was like, and I was like, whoa! I get to play his smuggling buddy. <laughs> and I'm in a bikini the whole movie. It's called The Red Tide, Demon Island. Demon Island? They changed it from, from Blood Tide to Red Tide to Demon Island. Okay. And it was a mythological horror film, a first-time director. We all get flown to the Greek Isles. Um, I'm in... It's at the end of the earth, this place called Monombasia. It's a, it's a beautiful... Like a rock of Gibraltar with a castle on it. Mm-hmm. And ancient ruins, actually. And the old cathedral at the top. And we're all... On a yacht, most of the time, there was a one big wooden ship that we hung out on. Yeah. And the crew was from Malta. The producers were British. The um, camera people were all Greek. And the sound people were all Mexican. Wow. So nobody could speak the same language. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And they took mules and donkeys, carried the cameras up to the top of the castle, of the, the big um, cathedral at the top. It was a, in the ruins. And it was really a weird place to live. For I was there for nine weeks, mm-hmm. and I lived in a cave, kind of like a... The rooms were really beautiful. It was where rich Athenians go for their vacations, yeah. and they lived in this kind of castle. But anyway, um, they tried to get me to do nudity, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget it. My union, I would never do nudity. I just made a rule for myself early on in life, because I didn't want my kids to see it. Yeah. One and... Um, there's a scene where I have to drown, and I have to j- dive into the ocean and swim out really, really far, and something pulls me down under the water. And I knew they wanted to catch the shot of me being naked underneath the water, or at least losing my top. Mm-hmm. So I take my top off on the beach, yeah. and I was so crazy. I couldn't sleep the night before going, how am I going to do this scene? You can't do underwater photography. There's an underwater camera underneath, yeah. a guy in scuba gear. So... The wardrobe lady and I, she didn't speak any English and I don't speak any Greek. And she's got, she's has me behind a rock, a big rock. That's the dressing room. And I go, help me. What do I do to cover this? <laughs> I was going to my poop. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, ha we put band-aids there. We put, she put gauze and bandages. We tried it and it fell off in the water. Oh man. So it didn't work. So the next, next great idea, I go, do you have any 
I kept looking at her like, what do we do? What do we do? They're going to shoot the scene in a minute. She had this brainstorm, zinc oxide, white zinc oxide. It doesn't come off underwater. Oh. And they, they're not going to use footage of my boobs all looking white. Yeah. So she slathered it over there. And on the scene on the beach, I pull off my top from the back. I run into the water. I swim way out. And they can't catch any. It didn't work. I mean, it was perfect. I didn't have any nudity. Wow. But I later, but <laughs> I couldn't hear the director yelling cut, and I kept swimming in the middle of the ocean. We're yeah. in the Aegean Sea. And finally, I'm so tired. I'm way out in the middle of the ocean. And he's going, cut, cut, cut. You know, we got the shot. <laughs> and I'm looking back, and, um, and I was so freezing. And we that was before I quit drinking, and they gave me brandy to cool down, to warm up. Yeah. And they towels around you. And then we all went... Um, the guy that did the Black Stallion, that was a Francis Ford Coppola movie, he was the art director. Mm-hmm. He would make giant bowls of pasta in his cave. Everybody lived in these beautiful caves. And James Earl Jones and I had um, scenes at midnight where we were smuggling things under the water. We were out in the boat at night. And we had a lot of scenes like that together. Wow. And we were supposed to have a kissing scene, and they wouldn't let us have the kissing scene. I thought it would offend American audiences. Oh, my, oh so, yeah, I figured it was a different time at that time, too, right? Like, the huh? That was really weird, but um, it was a really fun movie, and then there was one scene on a speedboat where we're all, all the actors are on the boat together. Yeah. And it had to look like nobody else on the boat. There were 25 crew people on the boat with us. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the sound man from Mexico got seasick, <laughs> and he... Well, he up. He lost his entire set of false teeth. They went over. Oh my the god! Water. And he couldn't eat the rest of the summer. He had to drink out of a straw. He had to drink moussaka, which is a. Oh yes, a Greek Greek food, right? Greek pastry. Yes, food yes, out of yes. Straw. It's terrible. Oh my god! Poor guy. Oh my god. Oh my! I guess he had enough polyden on there. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Marty Cove was in it with me. He's on Cobra Kai right now. The one oh yeah, Martin Cove. Yes, yes, yes. Martin Cove, and James Earl Jones, and Jose Ferrer, who won an Academy Award for, I think, Cyrano de Bergerac or something. He was a really famous actor. Yeah, that's uh, Miguel Ferrer's um, father, right? Yeah. Yes, and in relation with George Clooney. Isn't George Clooney his cousin, too, or something like that? Right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So we had a really great cast. Oh, and Lila Kedrova, another Academy Award winner for Zorba the Greek. Yeah. She played one of the nuns. It was a really interesting movie. Wow. Is it, is it, is it, is it, um, like on DVD? I'm trying to... Yeah, you can yeah. Get, I have some copies that my friend bought for me to sign for autographs, but he, uh, my best friend died a year ago. He just suddenly died. He fell off the bed and died. He was taking care of his mother. Oh it was really God. sad. Oh my God, it's hard to hear that. Oh, shit. Thank you. It was very weird to have people die, especially a lot of friends died. Gary Shandling was a good friend. Oh, yeah. Alan Thick suddenly dropped dead playing yeah. you know, hockey. Yeah. Um, Carrie Fisher. I knew all these people. I knew them pretty well. I knew Glenn Fry. Wow. Just all in a row. That's sad. And Gary Marshall. Yeah. It's so many, and um, wow, so and um, Penny Marshall too, right? Penny Marshall, right? Yeah, yeah. Penny. Yeah. yeah, Penny and Gary and I used to hang out together and goof around, and just walk around Universal. Wow, have fun. I don't know. Wow, it's just, it's just, it's just so crazy. Like you know, the, I guess, well, I'm saying, I guess anywhere in life, like the people just like, like you said, people just 
dying so early, young ages and stuff. It's just... I know. And, you know, like, for John Ritter to die so young, yeah. and then Steve Jobs even. I just It's just so bizarre. Yeah. But I guess life has a... I don't believe in... I don't know. I don't really believe in death. Yeah. We're consciousness. I think we go on forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that too. I'm like, I just don't want to come back as a bug, you know? No. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get squished on, you know, trapped in a cage or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. No <laughs> bugs for you. <laughs> oh, Lydia, a few more questions. Um, do you have? I'm sure you do, and I'm, 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 I'm probably not. Um, but do you have like any? Any regrets in life? I, I know you do, but I'm sure you're like over it now. But at that time, like, did you regret certain things or? Um, I guess I regret not. Here's what I regret the most: not having more courage and having having any fear at all about just getting my work out to the world. I'm an artist. I've written mm -hmm. a book on Stalin and Trotsky, and I, it wasn't perfect enough, so I held it back, and I kept trying to work on it too long, instead of just, show, just showing it to people and getting it going. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the book I just wrote, but it's, I really believe it's all in divine order because mm -hmm. certain things weren't really ready at the time, and, and I had a really big God shot about it the other day. Yeah. The book I wrote just now... It's really funny. It's all comedy. But there is some tragedy in there and the whole recovery story. Yeah. But it wasn't meant to come out sooner for some reason. Mm. And I think it's all happening in the right order. Um, I have regrets over that kind of stuff, but you can't really control... The one thing I've learned is that you can't control anything or any person or any humans. You can't control anything but your own attitude. And mm. we're, we're a work in progress. We're always learning. Yeah, so, true. I regret my brother. I regret I couldn't save his life. I wish I could have chained him to my house. Yeah. I didn't know he was going to die. That night that he died, um, he tried to get sober. We took, we, we were, he was packing up all his things to go to a rehab place. And they turned him away because he wasn't 72 hours clean. And he died that night. I regret, you know, not keeping him with me. Yeah. And I regret, and actually, you know, another sad part of that story, I don't want to depress anyone, but it's part of what, why alcoholism is so dangerous. The girlfriend he had for 10 years, the love of his life, they had broken up, but she was still in love with him. She went off to Dallas to become the, the vice president of Neiman Marcus or something. Yeah. I called her to say my brother died, and she was so distraught. She said, I'm coming to the funeral. She mm -hmm. drove from Dallas she got drunk. She was a drinker, and she got blitzed on the way, and she killed an entire family and an eight-year-old boy in her head-on oh. collision and killed herself in a car crash. Holy shit. On the way to my brother's <sighs> memorial. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it... I, I'm just telling you, alcoholism is a deadly oh. disease, and there's only three yeah. results if you don't get help, and it's yeah. death, institutions, or prison. Mm -hmm. that is that is so true and you know it's it's weird because there's people that that you know how like they like to say they're functioning alcoholics but like yeah. they they drink and you know they they can do things when they're drunk like even like when my father was an alcoholic he wasn't a functioning alcoholic at all it's just that 
even I remember like even when I was younger, I used to I used to like visit him and he had like the Bacardi and a brown paper bag in his back pocket, but then like I could smell it all over him and it was Aww. something that like took control over him and you know, it's right. like it like sometimes like it like it still boggles my mind like how it it just had a hold of him. Like it ruined his marriage. It ruined yeah. sort of the connection I had with him because even like you know, looking back as a teenager, like, I was kind of embarrassed by him because I didn't want him around me because he was just, like, right. was drunk. And I was like, oh, like, oh, who's that? Oh, no, I don't know who that is. You know, like, I was kind of embarrassed to say that was my father because he oh, just... Oh, poor thing. Yeah. Oh, my God, I feel for you and I feel for yeah. him. It's it's a disease. It's not yeah. something... Yeah, I know. Really, as the American Medical Association says, it's a real disease. Yeah. You know, it's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And it's a very... Str- and it's really weird. Yeah. No human power can relieve it. it. You can't take a pill for it. You can't yeah. take another drug with it to make it go away. Yeah. And moderate drinking doesn't work. The woman who invented that program drove the wrong way on a freeway and killed herself. Yeah. She thought you could drink moderately. Yeah. And it, it, it's like it's, it's like right up there, right? The hospital, like I, I like I, I don't have like statistics with me, but isn't it like right there on the top ten of pe- people who go to the hospital, like for like yes. alcohol poisoning or something like that? Yes. You know, and tobacco. You know, it's yeah. It's it's. it's I wonder. Do you ever think it's our society that we're so greed driven and hyper capitalistic that we're so into like com- competition and, and cutthroat? winning instead of just being collaborative and mm-hmm. working together and yeah. stop competing over the, the yeah you have to earn so much money just to survive on two incomes yeah just have a place to live it's impossible and and, and, and and people like always competing with it with each other and they're like either jealous because they you have something that they don't have and then they try to compete right. with you or try to put a facebook post to like thinking yeah. that their life is glorious and then try to make you feel bad about a certain way, or if you're hanging out, or you're not hanging around with that person no more, they feel kind of jealous. It's, I don't know. It's just weird. Some people are just weird that way. Like they're just like geared differently. You know? I don't know. It's just yeah, exactly. Our, I don't know. I just think alcoholism is a modern. I don't know. I mean, man always wanted to kind of numb himself and check out, but yeah, a lot of countries don't have the issues we have with yeah. competition. It makes yeah. you feel so low. Mm-hmm. And people are very sensitive. I mean, we're bullied. We bully each other. It's just we have a society that's not very kind. Yeah. There are a lot of kind people, though, and it's growing. Yeah. And the thing is, with alcohol, it's very easy to get alcohol. Because even being in New York and living in, like, I lived in um, Manhattan, Queens, and even in Queens, like, there's a bar in every three-block radius. There's, like, bars, bars, oh, bars, you right. know? Right. So it's just like you got a CVS, you got a bar. You got to cross the street, wow. you got a you got a Mexican restaurant, you got a bar. It's like, oh my god, wow. you know. So it's just god, it's, I never thought of it that way. I've become so in love with uh the excitement of food that any I I don't eat a lot, but I really enjoy you can enjoy herbal teas and there's all different colors and flavors of things you can get that aren't liquor. Yeah. But it's sad that there's so many bars cuz for people who really struggle, <laughs> yeah, that's temptation yeah. everywhere you go yeah or even like even like i said like a cvs walmart Dwayne reed you can go you're over the age you can just buy a beer and they'll sell it to you no matter what like you don't have to show a alcohol anonymous card hey i'm an alcoholic but can i buy this beer or you got to right. just show his id or sometimes if right. like in the city you don't really need to show an id because some people don't really care you know like okay here you know and you you buy 
blue ribbon beer. You could buy the cheapest beer. You could buy the, the high quality beer, you know, or wine or something, you know, and just, you know, or cigarettes too. It works the same way with cigarettes. You can go buy a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. You, in the city, you could buy a Lucy from somebody who sells like an individual cigarette. So it's, oh, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Everything is so accessible. It's so, so accessible for like drugs and everything, you know. That's crazy because it's a really powerful drug. It's the big, it's the worst drug, really. I mean, heroin's worse. Yeah. Meth is worse. Yeah. But it's just too easily accessible. You're right. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, like, I, I, don't, know, really I don't know if you've ever seen this, com- like, if you go to YouTube and how cigarettes was, like, it, w- it was really, really predominantly featured. They had the Flintstones, the Flintstones, like, promote Marlboro. You see Fred and Barney smoking. Oh, after a hard days of work, I will, uh, after a hard day of work, Barney, I want to smoke a nice Marlboro cigarette. And they, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Look up Flintstones smoke cigarettes and you'll I see will. what I mean. It's a, it's a black and white commercial, but I was like, oh my God, you know, like, it was just so featured you know and like even alcohol was that i got you know it was so featured on so many different people promoting it now it's so different yeah. now you know there, oh i did a, a study in seventh grade what was it kind of in seventh, maybe ninth grade i became obsessed with a book called subliminal seduction okay. and it's about the advertising industry and how they seduce us yeah. and they used to to put sexual things in ice cubes and they photograph it so there was sexual things going on in there, but it was subconscious, and you were, your mind would get tricked into going, "Oh, I've got to have that drink right now. I want that drink." <laughs> and it was it's archetypes they put into different things. And I'm actually writing a movie about that. Really? Um, it's a book called Subliminal Seduction. It's really riveting. They did this with Playboy magazine, and they did it with lots of big magazine ads in the '50s, '60s, and '70s, or the '60s and '70s. Where they would really try to trick you into like to ha- to wanting something. Yeah. So I mean I don't know. We've got to be careful. Yeah, and it, it, it still happens today. Like you know, you'll see a commercial for like um, lime Pepsi and vanilla Coke, and you're like, "Whoa, I want a Coke right now!" You know, <laughs> you you get tempted. Yeah, it's really just yeah. sugar water with yeah. caramel coloring. You know, it's not. Yeah. I know it's so bad, but it's so good. But yeah, you're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. You know. But the other thing is, like, they try to sell us that we have to have super white teeth yes. and, you know, skinny waistlines and all this. Well, teeth are ivory. They're not meant to be super white. Not really. They're bone. Yeah. It's really strange how they've convinced us we have to be completely different than our yeah. natural state, you know? Yeah. You know how they say it's like sex sells. You see a, a woman or a man on TV with per- pearly whites, chiseled body, chiseled physique, and you're like, oh, man, I wish I could be like that, you know, or I could look like right. that. Eyebrows are on point, you know, or, they, or, they, or the youngsters say eyebrows are on fleek, and then, you know, they're, you know, the, every, like, the haircuts or the hairlines is, like, perfect, you know, it's like, we're, we're, o- we're always looking at ourselves like, damn, I don't look like that, like, I got these that's love candles, I, I have this. That's why society has yeah. problems, that's why we're all drinking, I, I don't think that's the reason for yeah. drinking, but I think it doesn't help. Yeah. It's, you never feel good about yourself, you know, you're always trying to... Yeah. You know, like, are you feeling down? Take this pill. If you're feeling this way, do this or, or do that. Or, yeah. or buy this red car. It'll make you look sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll attract more people when you're driving this hot Ferrari. You know, like, right. okay. <laughs> like, come into my car. Like, what that David Hasselhoff song? Come into my car. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Wow. Oh, man. Uh, oh, Lydia, a few, few more questions before I let you go. Um. 
what is your favorite food? You talk about you love food now. Um, what 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 is a, a typical um, dinner that you love to eat? What is a nice you know? Well, nice I meal? love. I had an obsession with Mexican food my whole life because I was raised on the border and we used to have the most delicious enchiladas. Mm. Um, and then last year I started taking care of my parents who have dementia and my stepfather is the most delightful, adorable man in the world. I've fallen in love with him yeah. with his dementia. He's just very funny. Yeah. But we had caregivers that made the most delicious Mexican food and homemade guacamole and homemade papaya every morning they would Give him a papaya drink pureed, which is a great stool softener, by the way, rather than taking a laxative. It really is amazing. But um, she taught me all these organic ways to make really good Mexican food, and I became so spoiled by eating their food. I started copying them, and I would go sneak food when I was at the house. Um, but so now, let's see, it's Mexican. I love... What do I love? I love salmon. Yeah. I love spicy food. I love Thai. What's your favorite food? Me? Whew. <laughs> you have a long list. Um, I love Thai food. I love Mexican food, Puerto Rican food, Greek, um, Chinese oh, I love pizza food. Too. Oh, yeah. Oh, New York. I, 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 let me tell you, um, living in Wisconsin, that is the one thing I miss about the food. I miss a New York City pizza. The pizza here doesn't hold a candle to a New York pizza, you know? And, I know. And deep dish is so overrated. It's more eating dough and a lot of tomato sauce. That's all it is. Exactly. You know? Have you tried the new cauliflower crust pizzas? Oh, no. <laughs> where, where Where's that at? Okay, so out here, I mean, cauliflower, I, I really was thinking about a carb-free crust where you wouldn't feel guilty and you could still have the delicious taste of pizza without all the bread. Yeah. And... They started inventing these things called cauliflower crust, which doesn't taste at all like cauliflower. Mm -hmm. it, it's really this like a crust, um, and they put a little bit of tapioca or rice flour, and it's not at all carb-ridden, but they're pretty good. If you go to California, you get California Pizza Kitchen anywhere near you? No. Is that just basically a California-based pizza thing? or It's the best. Oh, my gosh. It's so delicious. They have like 19, oh. like dozens of brands of pizza, but... One I love is a, the shrimp scampi pesto pizza with cauliflower crust. It sounds really <laughs> terrible for a, that's... a pizza lover from New York, but <laughs> no, I, I, I so that sounds pretty good to me. You know, like you know, I what I have here, they have this place called uh, I forgot the name of the place. I, uh, it's a pizza place, but um, it's a pesto pizza like with pesto sauce on it. So good. Oh, I love pesto. Oh, you love pesto? Oh, my God. On the yeah, pizza? I do. It's so oh good. My God, I love it. I make a lot of really good, wholesome food. Um, I do a shake every morning with coconut milk and flax seed and chia seed. I, I copy the, you know, the, the people that talk about, you know, organic. I love to have this. Okay, make frozen banana. I take, I cut up a bunch of bananas. You peel them first. You cut them up. Put them in a baggie and keep them in the freezer. Yeah. And if you have a banana in your smoothie in the morning, it's like ice cream. Okay. So I use banana. I put papaya or pineapple in. Frozen's really good because it makes it like a icy smoothie. Coconut milk. And then a little blueberries. I put some spinach sometimes. Yeah. And a little protein powder. Oh, wow. And then I do it every morning. Wait, so you, you have a shake every morning? You don't have any, like, um... Any solid food in the morning? So it's usually a shake in the morning? 
No, I often eat like a, a an omelet or I try not to have too much bread. Okay. I'm not having carbs right now. Oh, okay. Excuse me, I have to no, <coughs> But I'm trying to do less carbs. Oh. Even though I don't believe, I think spiritually, if we, if we think about dieting, whatever you think about grows. So I wrote, used to wrote, I wrote this comedy, What You Think About Grows, and my sister says, is that why you look twice your size? <laughs> Deborah Von Valkenberg, my sister on Too Close Recovery, she played my sister in this other movie I did. But we're still fighting <laughs> 20 years later. Wow. But um, the truth is, if you think about, if you worry too much, you stay stuck in that, you actually, you don't lose weight if you diet too much. If you think less about your body, you mm-hmm. don't give a lot of attention to all the bad and don't keep obsessing about it, mm-hmm. you just be natural with it. You know, you eat a balanced diet and you don't worry too much. You're happier and you're healthier, and I think you lose weight faster, or you get more balanced. I mean, you just. So I'm learning not to obsess, and I don't really believe in giving a lot of attention to disease. Mm-hmm. You know, to constantly focus on your injuries. Yeah. When you look away from it, it seems to heal faster, and that's really evident. I just think it works that way better. I think prayer works for a lot of things, yeah. which means turning your attention away from the problem and trusting. Trusting that'll work out. But you're healing. Um, but I do eat, like, sometimes I'll have grape nuts in the morning or cereal. Okay. With almonds on it, you know. Yeah. Just did almonds from Trader Joe's. Do you guys have a Trader Joe's? Oh, yes, yes. I love Trader Joe's. Okay. I, 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 like, I like the seaweed. You ever had the seaweed? Um, It's like the, I think it's called like a seaweed chip almost. It's yeah, like a, I love them. Yeah, is they're like a buck. And they come in, they come in little plastic. I like the wasabi one. It's really spicy. Oh, I never had that. Is that like the light green bag one? Because yes, yes, yes. All right, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's super hot, but it just gets you. It wakes you up. What? Like if you don't want coffee in the middle of the day, you take a wasabi seaweed. Yeah, and I oh, I love the powder chai tea from Trader Joe's too. Oh, it's oh, really good. I haven't tried that. That's really, really good. And then they have the Indian food. Oh my God, I'm talking about food now. They have the I love that place. yeah, the microwavable one. It's like a microwavable Indian food. I forgot the name of it though, but it's so good. It looks like it's, is it like what? I said no, and I was gonna say it looks like it looks like oh, it looks like cauliflower, but it's not. And it has like a white cheese in it, but it's an Indian dish. I don't know the oh. name of it right now, but it's usually in the freezer section. The frozen oh, I foods. Get that. Sounds really good. It's really all oh, it got me craving now. Trader Joe's and the and the oh, peanuts. Love, oh, there is God. a pizza there that is so delicious. It's a frozen pizza, and it's called Gruyere. Oh, oh, Gruyere cheese, right? Like a Gruyere cheese yeah. pizza. G Y R E. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, Gruyere cheese with bacon, like a pancetta. Yes, yes. Oh, I just. Oh my God, that pizza! It's a thin, flaky. Yes, thing. me and my oh. wife ate that in one day. <laughs> we, we, we oh my split. God. That's she ate one half, I ate one half, and that was it. I was like, oh my god, this is so good. <laughs> it is so I make good. my own pesto. Sometimes pesto from Trader Joe's. I get the basil plant. Yeah. I call it basil. basil. Um, they have a plant of basil. It's usually two ninety nine. It grows continuously. Yeah. Or you can get the fresh cut basil. Yeah. Um, and then I get a bag of the Parmesan cheese that they've it's already cut up. It's a big bag. It's like four ninety nine. But it's a big bag of already shredded Parmesan cheese. And then you get the olive oil and you get, um, I use walnuts instead. And I make my own pesto. Oh, wow. How does it come out? It comes out better than the actual pesto from a can, right? Yeah, because pine nuts are really, 
a little too creamy sometimes. You want a more nutty pesto. Yeah. Add olive oil to that. And so I love stuff like that. I love uh, every food in the world. There's some ice cream I love. <laughs> I love Ben and Jerry's Cherry Garcia. Oh, I just had that. Oh, my God. I just had that recently. <laughs> oh, really? My God, yeah. I just had that recently because I was watching the Game of Thrones marathon. So um, my wife had half-baked and I had Cherry Garcia. <laughs> oh my god but i eat it with tweezers so i can get the chocolate out <laughs> how finicky of you <laughs> with tweezers. It's a joke i don't i haven't tried it actually i eat it with a fork so i can just get the chocolate out i did it at my friend michael's house and he goes you may as well eat it with tweezers <laughs> and so i left his entire thing of ice cream without any chocolate in it. it's got like poked through <laughs> It's really rude. Yeah. You gotta have your own carton. Your own carton. Oh my god. Um, um, chocolate chip cookie though is good too. I like that one too. Oh god, it's so good. Oh my god, food, food, oh, food, food is so comfort. I, <laughs> I know. I like. I say like Robin Harris. You say I got a weight problem. Can't wait to eat. You know, so that's my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Um. And my final question for you, Lydia. I know we went out on a tangent in this episode, but um, <laughs> what would the Lydia of today tell the Lydia of yesterday? Follow your dreams and never give up, and just have fun, and don't make your life all about your career. Yeah. Make it about the small things. You know, pay attention to the beauty all around you all the time. Oh, and I have a great thing on that. Um. I'd like to tell you this little story. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Shoot. I noticed that when I went through my divorce, I was grieving the end of a marriage, and it was it was heartbreaking, mm-hmm. even though it was probably the best thing that could have happened, really, for me. But I went outside, and I was grieving, and I was the heartache was very strong. It felt like a knife in my heart, because my little stepson was leaving, too, and I had my son leaving for the summer, too, to see his dad. So... I was alone in the house and I started to just sit I sat under a tree and I looked up and I went a fig tree I never even knew we had a fig tree I hadn't been awake enough in the marriage I wasn't conscious Mm. I was too busy making Pokemon Pokemon parties and (laughs) Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments and you know taking care of two little boys and I'm trying to be a good wife and I sat outside I looked up and I saw this fig tree and I go I never knew we had a fig tree and so it's so weird the fig tree never had fruit on it till a year later after my life came to fruition wow. you know fruit it came to fruition yeah there were figs on the tree after i had the spiritual awakening wow. so i'm sitting there mm-hmm. and i suddenly was grieving so hard over the loss of my family a butterfly these two butterflies came over to me and this kind of circled my head they were gorgeous big swallowtail tiger striped butterflies and I started becoming delighted with nature. Mm. I, I stayed in the moment. And it sounds really nerdy, but I was like, God, these creatures are beautiful. They snapped me out of my depression for a minute. Yeah. And then the next day, I got an invitation to go to a Del Mar autis- autism event to help some kids with autism. And they gave me an overnight stay at a hotel on the beach. And they said, your, your gift is a trip to the San Diego Zoo. So I did the event. You help kids. Mm-hmm. And I went off to the zoo by myself. The San Diego Zoo is the most fantastic zoo in the world. It's like a nature preserve. And I figured I'm just going to enjoy the day and cry about my marriage ending and just be alone with nature. That was a transformative experience. I walked to the zoo. Orangutan 
uh, they were making love. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. A gorilla stuck her tongue out at me. A peacock came over and opened his feathers. Yeah. And I was like a child again. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm having the best day. I'm so in love with life. Everything's so beautiful. I was really grateful. And I've been wanting to see a monarch butterfly. My, I've never seen a monarch in person. Mm-hmm. I drive all the way home that night, that day, and it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I walk up to my front porch, and there's a monarch butterfly waiting for me on a white rose. It was weird. It was like, what? This is unheard of. Wow. Monarchs don't come to California this time of year. I sat there looking at it going, what a gift. And I thought, oh, I get it. The universe is interactive. It wants to give you everything you want. But we're never grateful enough. We never stop long enough to appreciate it. We don't have a day like that where we spend a day enjoying nature, enjoying our child. You know, we're so busy worrying mm-hmm. about the future and regretting the past. Yeah. And there's an old saying, you know, if you have one foot in tomorrow and one foot in yesterday, you're pissing on today. Wow. <laughs> I, I never even heard of that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I found that somewhere recently. So I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I get it. The universe is interactive. It wants playmates. It wants to show off for us, but we're never present enough. We're never grateful enough. We're always worrying. We miss the, the moment we're in. The yeah. present moment is all there really is. That's where God is. That's where time expands. That's where diseases don't exist. We don't age. When you're happy right now, like you and I talking right now, yeah. or you enjoying that ice cream, or you yeah. just enjoying life, or other things you know that are really right in the moment that you can't escape, that's it. Yeah. So I started realizing life is just a constant, beautiful journey. We got it. You know, I forget day to day when I get upset, but you have to get yourself back to that place where you feel grateful. Yeah, like always, like um, like when like you know how humans, I guess humans like us, like we take advantage of situations. Like you know, there's a lot of things that happen to us in the moment, but we don't take time to realize it and appreciate everything that happens. But then right. it's like when you have um, experiences, bad experiences, good experiences, whatever happens to you is like you reflect on things and you become more aware and more in tune with yourself and you more in tune with the universe of like, okay, this happened to me because of this and this happened to this person probably because of this, you know, like experience is always a great teacher. And then, you know, you look back and you reflect, you know, you take time to like smell the roses, but that's something like, you know, I, I I could preach to myself because sometimes like, I don't like, I don't appreciate the things that I have until like something bad happens. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I, I have a house, I have a roof over my head and you know, I, I, I can come home to my own home. You know, I'm not, you know, right. I'm not in an apartment. I'm not, you know, having roaches in my apartment or anything like that. It's like right. you look at things that you appreciate what you have. You know, it might not be much to somebody else, but to you, it, it could be, it, it's everything, you know? It is. And, and you have a great spirit. You have a great, resilient, beautiful, I can tell. Because you're doing a podcast. You're doing something to help people. You have a great, um, loving heart. And those things are not so yeah. easy for other people. You know, be yeah. grateful for who you are and what you have. That's that's my message to most to me. Yeah. I also have to be grateful. I went through a really hard year. Yeah. But oh my God, what a great thing to get to the other side of it. It's so much better. I, I wouldn't trade that for anything now. Yeah. You know. 
And I, I think, learned some really big lessons. Yeah, and you know, look at you. You've been through so much in your life, and you know, you know, and then you know, you don't fit the Hollywood stereotype. Oh, she fell off, or this, this, and that, or look at all the problems she had. Like everything that happened to you, and every experience that you had made you the person you are today. So if you didn't have those bad experiences, if you didn't have the trouble with alcoholism, you wouldn't be an inspiration to other people. And they look at you like, wow, she did this. She overcame this. I can do this as well. You know? That's so, exactly. You know? You have to help other people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All that suffering has to be for something. Yeah. And, yeah. And helping others is the main goal. When I get my ego out of the way, ego is edging good out or edging God out. E-G-O. Yeah. Kind of a funny saying they say. Or fear is false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R. Yeah. Um, once I get my ego out of the way, things go better. Yeah. And then, you know, and my motto for team is together everyone achieves more. And you are a team for a lot of people that, you know, look up to you as well, you know. I love that team. That's great. Yeah. Together everyone achieves more. And... You know, that's great. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and then look how much you're achieving in your life. You know, and you know you're writing. You know, you're doing comedy, drama. You know, dra- a dramedy because you said it's comedy yeah. and drama at the same time. So it's like a dramedy. Right. You know, you're doing. So you know, exactly. and you putting you're putting your creativity out there, and you know, people are aware of it. And not you're not even doing it. You're, you're doing it for yourself. You know, and then if people gravitate towards that and and they learn something from it, that's that's a bonus right there. But as long as you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it to put it out there in the world and, you know, yeah. it's, it's going to touch somebody. So that's, that's yeah, I'm finally getting my work out to the world. And it's now it's got less anxiety around it and it's more fun. It wasn't, I had a lot of, pre- I put a lot of pressure on myself the past few years over, you're not working fast enough. You're not great, brave enough. And to be honest, the me too movement for women, it may be annoying, but it, it, it's more about work. Mm-hmm. A lot of us weren't allowed to work or show our work because it was a male-dominated industry. Yeah. And now a lot of us are getting our work out to the world with a new freedom. We feel, hey, you know, they've shut us down for too long. Yeah. Yeah. It's a liberation. Yeah. And it, it, but, it's, a, no, I said it, it's a good thing now because, you know, it should be... It should be equal pay. It should be, you know, th- yeah. there's a lot of things that are unfair. And, you know, now, like, as they say, shit's hitting the fan. So, you know, a lot of people who've done their stuff back in the day and, you know, like, you know, everything, everything, it's, it's you know, the wheels turn slowly, but they do turn. And, you know, yeah. a matter of time where, you know, people are not going to say, oh, that's a female director. No, it's just a director. <laughs> the, the gender doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. You know? Thank you. you know? That would be cool. It comes to that point, yeah. Yeah, like you know, like even even like when categories for awards, you know, the actresses and actors should just be an actor and just have the same people in the same category. You know, like exactly. everything is so separated. You know, it's just. I actually wrote a funny joke about that. I said, "Really, I'm going to oh, stop using yeah. the word actress altogether. The only words left with the tress ending." Yeah. Or waitress, mistress, and adulteress. <laughs> you don't call a lawyer a lawyeress or a doctor a doctoress. Exactly. You know. <laughs> you know. You don't say female officer. You say officer. You know. It's right. it's no gender. You know. Exactly. Like, you know. Like you don't say yes, female captain. You know. It's it's you know. <laughs> yeah. It's captain. That's it. You know. But you know. I, I think it'll be a long time before, and it probably it'll never change. But you know, yeah. society always usually are stuck in their ways and. You know, that's just the norm. <laughs> We're trying. 
<laughs> it's exciting right now. I'm, I'm excited about the future and finally being creative again and being able to write again. I don't know. Sometimes the, the artistic process is a long journey. Yeah, and you having faith in yourself. You know? Yeah, and and but like you always had that artistic quality about you, right? It's just like now it's yeah. manifesting itself, coming out like the way it is now. Like right now, you it's like not. Like, yeah. not that you wasn't motivated before, but right now it's clear. You have a clear vision of what you want to put out there. Finally. Yeah. Really. It's, it's taken a while because if you're overly creative and you're too, you're too all over the place. Um, if I were to die tomorrow, I have one important thing I want to say, and I finally got it out on paper the past few weeks, what it really is all about. I wrote these funny stories, but they didn't have a cohesive theme. Mm-hmm. And then it dawned on me what it really is. And it's really, it's like, you can actually change your life by changing your perspective and looking at the good and just seeing the good and don't give a lot of power to the bad things in your life. Don't, don't focus on them too much because they aren't really real. What's real is the good. I mean, that really is true. And even Einstein said, I love quoting Einstein. (laughs) He said, no problem can be solved at the same level it was created on. With the same consciousness that created the problem. The problem is in a different realm. The solution is always higher. It's either a spiritual solution or a diplomatic solution. You can't fight fire with fire. Yeah. You can't cure alcoholism with more alcohol or drugs. You can't cure these things on the same level. Yeah. You can't really win a war with bombing each other. Mm-hmm. You have to go to a, a, a diplomatic solution and you have to go to a spirit. There is a higher power running this universe. Yeah. It creates all this beauty, and it wants us to be creative, and it wants us to love each other. It's called love. Yeah. So to me, you know, God is love. Yeah, and love is the power. Love is the key, and love is everything. Force of love. Yeah, yeah, love is the force. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. I think I want. I want to end it on that. Love is the force. Love is the force. Love is the force. Uh, Lydia, um, plug your social media. Plug any upcoming events you have. Plug your book. Plug anything uh-huh. you have. I have uh, cool things coming up. I'm not ready to promote them yet. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you can find it on my website, LydiaCornell.com. L Y D I A. C-O-R-N-E-L-L, LydiaCornell.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And I am producing a show with Roddenberry, the Star Trek company. Oh, well, I'm Rod Roddenberry? Well, it's the Roddenberry company, yeah, Trevor and Rod, yeah. Okay. Um, We have a cool show I created with some astrophysicists and some cosmonauts and astronauts. So we're going to see if that goes. I have a this book coming out soon. I have a TV series hopefully coming out soon. I'll be promoting all that. Yeah. Um, I mainly want to promote recovery right now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And positive thoughts. And I want to send love out to the world. And I want to help people heal from depression. There's a lot of kids suffering from suicide and depression. And it just seems to be out there right now. We need to help others. Yeah. That's what I mean. And, and and bullying, there's so many, so many things out there, so many things out there that, you know, you know, depression is the quiet killer because no one knows you're suffering through it because everyone masks, some pe- a lot of people could mask it really well and, right. you know, it's, it's a silent killer because you don't know who's depressed. Somebody could really fake the funk really good and, you know, they could yeah. be 
having this darkness inside that they feel so lonely that they just want to end it. So yeah, that's that's you know like there's a lot of people going through things like that. So it's it's you know it's it's always good. To, there's outlets. There's there's you know calls out there you can look up so but yeah that's actually i forgot to tell you this i have a website i'm just now i have a trademark i own called godshots and the website's godshots.org and this is the year i have to use my trademark and get the podcast going so the website's up right now and there's a book i wrote that's actually i'll give you a free book if you want one anyone who wants one write me at lydia at lydia cornell.com um the book is called God Shots, Miracles or Synchronicity. So it's a really cool book about hundreds of God Shots I've had, and I'm trying to collecting them from other people. And, you know, the other shoots, the other offshoots of the book are hospice God Shots, children's God Shots, teenage God I've had these from all over the country. People are sending me their stories of coincidences that are unbelievable. Wow. And how they guided your path. Wow, that's awesome! I definitely would love to read that. That's awesome. I'll send you one. It's a PDF. It's an ebook right now. But, oh, okay. But yeah, your show is amazing. I really love your your spirit. You have a great you have a great spirit. Yeah, Lydia, you too. Like it's amazing talking to you, and um, you know, like everything that happened to you made you the person you are now, and you know, made you a better person. You know, not to say that you wasn't a bad person before, but it just you're awakened, you know, and it was it was it was a pleasure talking to you and um I Same to you. You're awakened too. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> We're both awakened, you know. But like, you know, I'm I'm I hey, I'm always learning. I'm always learning. Like, you know I don't have all the answers and I ask a lot of questions. So um I'm I'm still learning myself but um Stay humble. That's a good way to be. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. yeah. We don't know everything. We never will. Yeah, I, I love Peter. to. Yeah, I love to surround myself with people who know more than me because then it, I learn from that. You know, that's how I look at it. You know, because I don't have all the answers and I ask a lot of questions. So I love it. That's a great way to be. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, and I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks.